1: I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, friends. Sarah Jane here. It's that time of year again where we are gearing up for a break between Season 3 and Season 4. With that in mind, I have compiled my favorite episodes from Season 3 for you to check out right now. I know that doing a daily podcast means that episodes get lost in the mix sometimes, and I want to make sure some of these really get a chance to shine. So I am entering into the holiday season with so much gratitude for all of you. Thank you so much for being here. And if you are looking for real-time content, I'll still be posting a new episode every Monday through the month of December, walking through reflecting on the year and planning for 2023. Enjoy today's episode today I am talking with Shannon Schottler. Shannon is a professional coach specializing in life and career transitions. like Think those messy, mucky middle times in life where you're wanting something different, but may not be quite sure what that is just yet. When Shannon is not coaching, she is co-host of the Workplace Hugs podcast, host of the new Messy, Mucky Middle podcast, mom to Talia, wife to Nate, and while simply being a beautifully messy human herself, because aren't we all? She's also a dear friend of mine who I am so excited to steal time with today. I told Shannon before I'm absolutely spoiled to get to hang out with her. So Shannon, welcome to the show.
0: Yay. Thank you so much for having me. And I feel the same way. I'm just like, yay, we get to just have some catch up time.
1: Yeah. I feel like, um, you know, people get to actually just listen in on the conversations that we have.
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly.
1: Which, um, As you know, we start every episode with Rosebud Thorn. What are yours today?
0: So I love this so much. We do this as a family every day uh, over Mm. dinner. So I'm thinking like, what am I going to say later tonight at dinner? Uh, My rose lately, if I'm just being really mom for a moment – Sarah Jane, I love being a mom lately. Aww. This has been a thing that I've been telling my friends because it's just kind of caught me off guard. I don't know if it's the age of seven to eight or something, but there's just some mama magic happening over here that just feels like a rose every single day in my life, mm. truly. And it's been such a journey to get to get to this place, as you know, so I'm just grateful mm-hmm. for that. Um, My bud. What am I looking forward to? We are taking our annual family trip to the north shore of Lake Superior here in Minnesota next week. And I'm looking forward to that. It's always fun to see the fall colors. And my thorn. I mean, if I'm just human, I've been sick for like 10 <laughs> days and I'm really ready to not be uh hacking so much. So forgive <laughs> me. You <send> hear me <laughs> hacking in this call.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, I totally relate. I'm actually just getting over sick, being sick too, Shannon. And it's like, I don't like it. I don't <laughs> oh. I mean does anybody like it? But like I feel like a little like grumpy about it.
0: Yes. I'm just really ready to be healthy again. And it makes me appreciate
1: <laughs> health all the more. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So, I know you've had quite the enneagram journey. Can we talk about like how did you find the enneagram? Where are we at with your type? Yeah. What's what's been your journey?
0: Let's talk about it. It was fun to think about this a little bit, Sarah Jane. I found the enneagram through you. I don't. You know that, but when I didn't know
1: that. Yeah,
0: when we first met, uh, when you came to Minneapolis and we first met. I remember you asking, like, do you know the Enneagram? Do you know your type? Are you an eight? And you thought I was an eight, <laughs> and, which is a common I'm thing.
1: i better now. I'm like, well. Ah.
0: Yeah, well, so I am actually a three, I think. And this is the part that I'm excited to talk to you about because mm-hmm. my Enneagram journey has been, you know, taking the test online, like just the free tests or whatever, and finding out I was a three and being like yeah, that really checks out. I've been an achiever Mm -hmm. my whole life, done a lot of like crazy achievement things. I could make a laundry list and I won't. Um, Mm -hmm. But then maybe it was like two years ago, I did a more official Enneagram test. I don't even know Mm -hmm. which one it was. And I typed as a nine, Mm -hmm. which has kind of blown my mind a little bit. Um, And I know they say that your Enneagram type can't – like, it doesn't change. Mm-hmm. But I do identify with a lot of the traits of a nine. My husband is a nine. And so anytime that you make a post or anything or I see anything Enneagram-related, I will read both types. And I'm like, yeah, I can see it. So mm-hmm. that's, that's like a, a little bit of my time into the Enneagram.
1: Yeah. Okay, so – my question for you <laughs> yeah. is: Which one, like basic fear, or like, like over the course of your life, not necessarily right now, but like maybe even like early twenties, like what were you more afraid of? Were you more afraid of like being difficult or like hard for hard to get along with, or were you more afraid of failure? One thousand
0: percent like- more afraid of failure, which is why, like okay. at the end of the day, I still think I'm a three. My Mm -hmm. husband and I joke about this sometime, anytime that I'm – because he knows this is like a constant debate in my mind ever since taking that test. And then I'll do things like be like, I wonder how fast I can empty the dishwasher today. And he's like, babe, this is how we know that you're a three. Like there's there's no question you're a three.
1: So, yeah. Well, and that – I mean it makes complete sense that you would relate to nine and I can see a lot of like positive six traits in you as well because – you move to those like three moves to nine, and sh- well, they, we call it stress. But you can actually do the high or the low side of it.
0: Yeah, and I joke so, with people when they ask me my enneagram type. You can either perceive me as a high-functioning nine <laughs> because <laughs> nines go to three in in growth, or mm-hmm. you can see me as a really low-functioning three right now because <laughs> in my life right now, I would say like I'm much more. Focused on like peace and peacefulness and ease Mm -hmm. and not really overly concerned with, oh, what's the next marathon I'm going to run? Or what's the next Mm -hmm. like thing I'm going to check off my bucket list? It's like Mm -hmm. achievement in a a different way. Like I'm just so Mm -hmm. much more focused on, I don't know, motherhood in this season right now and savoring that, that I don't really want to be too hyper focused on achievement.
1: Yeah. That make- and I think that that's, pr- that's growth, you know, like it sounds like that's been, you know, an area of focus, like an intentional thing. Mm.
0: Is that yeah. true? No, yeah, that does feel true of just like, how can I um, slow down that constant need to feel like I, I mean, if we go to like the core wound of the three, like that I'm worthwhile, like that I'm good mm-hmm. without having to do all the time. Like that just my being enough can be enough.
1: Mm. Dang. Just my being enough can be enough. Yeah. I don't know a lot of threes who get to feel that in their lives. You know what I mean? Like it, I feel like it works – it takes a lot of effort to get there.
0: Well, which is like either I got there or I'm not a three at all. And, and I really like the place that I've let myself get to with this debater dilemma is just like – and maybe this is why I'm so excited about your book coming out, but it's like mm-hmm. I get to be, I get to see myself in a lot of the different Enneagram types now, you know, mm-hmm. versus feeling like, oh, but I really need to know my type. Like, mm-hmm. no, I can see myself as the self preservation three wing two, and I can see myself as the social nine, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it's okay.
1: Yeah. And it is like, I love hearing you say that and I love those subtypes cuz those are the ones that I would if I'm like if you're a 9 you're a social 9 and if you're a 3 you're a self-preservation 3 like mm-hmm. um so I'm like I love that you're like on that page but I yeah I also agree like I feel like the whole point right is to understand yourself and so as long as it's helping you to understand yourself and your trajectory or like how how to release more <laughs> really yeah. Then, well, that's lovely. Yeah, and I'm so stoked
0: that I know all these enneagram terms. But truthfully, like I know it all from you. Like honestly, <laughs> I knew nothing about the enneagram before we met, and everything I've learned, I've learned through
1: you. Oh my gosh, this is this is what <laughs> when people are like, I meet people at parties sometimes, and they're like, "Um, you probably don't want to talk about the enneagram." <laughs> I'm like, oh, I do. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. So, Shannon, you have a really cool career story. Can we talk about, like, where you started um, in your career, you know, right before I met you and then kind of where you're at now and and how that's gone?
0: Oh, my God. Yeah, we can. Because maybe that's like the Enneagram arc right there (laughs) (laughs) of growth. So yeah, where my career started in a nutshell is I was a corporate climber, man. You know, I was so focused on achievement and really needing to achieve to feel good about myself that um, I remember when I was in college, I was debating, do I want to be the hands that do the good or do I want to be the hands that make the money that do the good? Because it takes money Mm -hmm. to do good in the world. And I chose option two and Mm -hmm. I worked for I don't know like five different Fortune 500 companies and in my last corporate role I worked for Target Corporation I felt so fancy and and big and sexy and important in you know managing a big team of 12 to 16 people and a huge P&L but at the end of the day I vividly remember uh, being in the boardroom presenting to the CEO and his entire executive team of this fortune 30 company on like to celebrate something that I felt a project that we had kicked butt at, that I should have felt great about and I felt dead inside. Mm. And for me, that was where the journey of maybe starting to like get the joke that the things that I had been pursuing in my Enneagram three achievement focused were maybe not the things that actually lit my soul up that were actually like mm-hmm. what my body was longing to do in the world mm-hmm. um and so yeah from there like that's that was six years ago now it's been a journey to figure out who is this real person inside of me and not the person that I think that I should be That's been a journey of discovery that eventually, you know, if we put this in a really neat and tidy bow ultimately (laughs) has led me to coaching. But of course there was a lot of muck in the middle for me. Um, And if, you know, the latest research on transitions say that it takes people five years and honestly Mm. that checks with my journey, man. It took me every bit of the last five years of, um, trying this entrepreneurship thing, trying this coaching thing to really settle in along with all the other transitions that we were moving through personally, um, Mm -hmm. becoming parents via foster care and the adoption process and whatnot. So, yeah, that's the quick version of what my career story has been.
1: Yeah, we're talking your career story, but it is fascinating to think about like at the same time, right, you started fostering. Yes. You became a foster parent and like that is such a part of that time.
0: Oh, yeah. Of your life.
1: How did you decide to do that? And then can we talk a little bit about how – well, let's start there. How did you decide to become foster parents in the first place?
0: Yeah. So I – in essence, took a match to my life back in 2015, 2016. Yeah, I remember. Mm. Oh my gosh, it's like (laughs) six years almost. So I took a match to my life on my 30th birthday and (laughs) I quit my job without a plan. And for me of, uh, a vision—not to get like too spiritual, but a little bit woo-woo—a mm-hmm. vision that I had had in my head since I was thirteen was holding the hand of a child that looked nothing like me. Mm-hmm. And foster care was always something that I'd thought about. Nate and I did not feel really called to have children biologically. That just wasn't something that we felt really passionate about. And so we, in true like experimental fashion, we thought like, okay we're just going to go to the, to the first, like, here's, we'll we'll tell you what foster care is about session. And then we made a commitment to each other to, to just continue to take that journey one step at a time and decide after each training class, after each step, after each application piece, if we wanted to keep going mm-hmm. and we, we wanted to keep going throughout the process. But yeah, I guess going back to your original question, what led us there? I think it was that vision that I had held from when I was 13, 14 years old that just felt like a knowing within me. And Mm -hmm. also, um, if I'm really vulnerable, I didn't recognize who I was anymore in my corporate career. There was a part of me of like the, the part of me that like, it sounds shitty, but this is where I was at. Like the part of me that cared about other people that I had lost somewhere along the way. Mm -hmm. The part of me that maybe people do see the eight in me of like my social justice bent a little bit that I had forgotten. And so for me, foster care um, among many other things was a way for me to begin to reconnect to the part of me that had an identity outside of my work, that had an identity as a person who cared about Humanity and people in the world And what was happening
1: mm-hmm. I mean I think Like empathy fatigue is real And I and I think like when you say Like I, I quit you know I wasn't in touch With the part of me that cared I think I totally resonate with that like I go Through seasons of that and I think it can be kind of Out of sight out of mind <laughs> And like we have to intentionally Choose to like put ourselves in positions Of being you know helping And then that's like it brings empathy back. I mean, I don't know. I I have to see it. I have to be a part of it or like be in the midst of it to remember sometimes, which sucks. Yeah. But it's it's real. It's real. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So you quit your corporate career. hmm Walk down the you're like, well, we'll try out, you know, go to some informational sessions about foster parenting and um get into that process how is the three in you feeling at this moment like is it just like so relieved or is there like terror
0: (laughs) oh what a great question how was I feeling in that moment I think there was a lot of freaking terror Mm -hmm. uh Maybe not so much on the foster care side, but more in the, like, what the hell am I doing with my life question? Like, Mm -hmm. there was no clear set of goals. It's a season of life that that I refer to as cocooning, right? I was doing Mm -hmm. a lot of resting and reflecting. There's not a lot of achieving to do in that phase. And so, yeah, the three in me was feeling pretty lost and confused, Mm -hmm. but not a About foster care, it's interesting for me to reflect back on that. In that moment, I didn't feel lost or confused about foster care. That was something that every step along the way. It was scary. It was daunting, Mm -hmm. but it was like this feels right. But I had no clue what else was going to happen in my life. (laughs) No clue.
1: I'm curious, and and this could be way off, but I'm curious if part of that is that you took it as like step by step, like you kind of were listening Mm -hmm. to your body. You were like pausing and reflecting and choosing every step versus like sometimes our our a little assertive type selves can kind of just go, this is what I'm doing, and just kind of beeline our way to it without even really listening to our bodies or checking in at all.
0: Yeah, that actually really resonates with me because we did have that um built-in process, if you will, in partnership with with my partner, my husband Nate that was there to kind of allow me to check in and reflect with my body. Whereas on the career front and all the question marks that were there for me, God, it reminds me of a conversation I had with my coach at the time where she kind of walked me through this concept called the cycle of renewal. And I was adamant that I was, there's a phase called getting ready. It was like, oh yeah, I'm certainly getting ready. She was like, what what are you getting ready for? And I <laughs> didn't know the answer. And so for me, that was a dead giveaway that I was actually resisting the more like Mm. rest and reflect phase of life. How human of me, especially as an Enneagram Mm -hmm. three to just want to like jump into achiever mode. Um, And that was maybe the wake up call for me there to to slow it down. (laughs) There's Mm -hmm. nothing to get ready for right now.
1: And I know coaching has been a journey as well. And now you're in this place where you're, it's like, I know you at this point as like someone who to talk to about transitions. Like I feel confident that that is like your wheelhouse. That's what you're focused on. Mm -hmm. Um, How did we, how did you settle there? Like, how did you kind of get to the point where you're like, this is what I want? Oh my God. What a
0: messy journey that you know, because you were along for the ride on that. (laughs) There was a big, ego part of me that was in the way early on in my coaching journey where I was like, what the hell do I call myself? Am I an executive coach? Am I a leadership coach? And I allowed myself to do a lot of experimenting, i.e. say yes to a lot of people going through a lot of different kinds of things. But throughout the the journey I realized that the, the thing I was most passionate about was this transitional season but there was a part of me that was afraid. Will people get what that is? Do people know yeah. what that means even, right? It's easy to say like, oh, I'm a life coach. I'm a dating and relationships coach. And I was like, I don't know that people use this term. Mm. But for me, it was like finding the courage to really own that that is my my passion that is my calling that is my specialty to walk with people through those messy, mucky, mucky messy mucky seasons and um even if it wasn't a term being thrown out there is it a is it an identity that I could try on for size to allow myself to live into a little bit more but yeah the journey there was not clean my ego got in the way a lot on that to say that I should be doing something different but the truth is that this is this is it for me.
1: Mm. Do you feel like, did it, was it kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm going to try this. I'm going to claim this and then see how it goes. And then it happened to feel right and go well. Or was it like, I, I know that this is going to feel good and right before you start.
0: It was a for search. Sure, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. Mm-hmm. There was a deeper knowing within me. And I remembered, um, it almost felt like a coming out. Like I had to come out to my coach friends or whatever in the business and be like, yeah, I don't do that anymore. Yeah. I'm Mm -hmm. not, I'm not taking those kinds of clients anymore. Yeah. I'm not engaging in that kind of work anymore Mm -hmm. so that I could say yes to myself a little bit of who I truly was. And it was finding then from there, finding other coaches. I shouldn't say other coaches. There's really only maybe three that I can think of off the top. One I call my Buddhist buddy, Hi Kim. If you're listening, this wonderful seventy-something-year-old man who like, this is all he does. Like his passion is transitions too. And it was finding him and being on truly more of a spiritual journey with him to just like own this part of me and say like this. This really is who I am. This is the depth work that I'm called to, and and that's okay. But it, for certain experimenting with it and actually a big milestone marker for me. I remember the day, I don't even know if you remember this, where I was doing a Q&A on Instagram and you DM'd me and you said, "Do you notice that every every single person is asking a question about transition?" <laughs> and that was the moment where I was like, Arrived. It's happening. It's happening. Like they get it. They get like that this is my jam now. And it's fun to see it. Maybe this is just like you see what you're looking for. It's fun to see more people talking about this topic now and to mm-hmm. see it more commonplace um, mm-hmm. as like a, a label or an identifier that people will put on describing their coaching work or what they're moving through in the world.
1: Hmm. What is it about transitions that you love, like sitting with people through?
0: I love the depth of it. I Mm. love the unfolding. I love getting to sit with a person as they discover the next version of themselves. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I don't know who that is. I have no preconceived notion of that. But it's so fun to find it together with them. And I love the intimacy of it. Honestly, like I'm a person that likes not, not in a bad way, but like I like the mess. I like mm-hmm. holding the, the vastness of emotions and sensations that come up in people when they're moving through the mess of it. I have a lot of compassion for that. Um, mm-hmm. and there's just something so Oh, you make me cry. Um, mm-hmm. there's just something so heartwarming about seeing watching a person from the place of like being really um doubting themselves, like questioning if they should even allow themselves to have some of these endings in their lives, and then getting to walk with them through that whole journey into them now being like, Holy shit, this mm-hmm. is who I was all along. <laughs> and it's really cool to get to finally um claim this part of me or reconnect with this part of me.
1: And I think what I love about what you do as well in the way that you talk about it is, you don't, you don't trick us into thinking this is going to be like one and done. You know, I think a lot of times, (laughs) I think a lot of times like online coaches and it's a, you know, it's an unregulated industry, but like, um, you're very well qualified and Sometimes, you you know, you see people and they're, they're creating content and they're like, just just follow your intuition and quit and everything is going to be perfect and magical and wonderful. And, like, if it feels bad, then it's not right. And, like, just love and light and perfection. And, you know what I mean? And I think that you say, hey, this is going to be a journey. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's this, like, whole process. And it's going to be sticky. It's going to be scary. And at the same time, like, it's well worth like listening to yourself and respecting yourself. At least that's what I take away <laughs> from you. Oh, thank
0: you so much for saying that. And you're reminding me of like, this is another reason why I love transition. why I'm so passionate about this work because for me, it's also about helping folks embody different ways of being. Right. Mm. And, and I think of transition sometimes as like a season of life that I certainly didn't get the joke on. I thought everything was <laughs> supposed to be like up and to the right, like right. And I had all the skill sets to make it up and to the right. I did Mm -hmm. not have the skill sets on how to be with myself through times when it's not up and to the right. I did not have Mm -hmm. skills on self-compassion. I did not have skills on how to reflect. I did not have skills on how to restore myself when I was feeling depleted. I did not have skills on how to experiment. And for Mm -hmm. me, that's like the gift that keeps on giving that also gets me really excited about this work because I get excited about how our whole world can be different when more people, um, can function or can add those tools to Mm. their life a little bit.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think even about like, is it, can you tell me what it's called where you like cocoon? Like there's like a, A cycle.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the cycle of renewal, this isn't isn't me. I can't take credit for it. This is from the Hudson Institute. I I rave about their work. Um, But there's four phases in the cycle. One phase is the go for it, right? That's like the sexy phase that we're all familiar with. The wind is in your sails. You can't wait to wake up in the morning and just like attack your day. Great place for an Enneagram 3 to be. (laughs) Then... There's a season called the doldrums. This is a sailing term, meaning like you're trying to keep sailing, but there's no wind. When I walk clients through this, I t- describe it as like the dis phase of life. You are disenchanted. You are disengaged. Sometimes we, we opt into that voluntarily through some voluntary changes that we want to make. Sometimes it happens through like layoff or divorce or the loss of a loved one that can put us in that space. That's normal. That's normal. That's okay Mm -hmm. to be there. Then we reach uh, phase three, which is cocooning. This is the phase that's all about first restoration, right? You Mm -hmm. just went through the doldrums. You just went through a really hard, depleting season in your life. How understandable that you need to take some time to restock the well. Before you jump into the second part of cocooning, which is the reflection piece, which is taking time to get your bearings a little bit and decide what are you ready to let go of, both in the doing, but also in the being, like in who you're being in the world. What are you thinking about taking on anew? And and also what you want to hang on to from the past chapter that you were just in. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth and final phase is uh, getting ready. So that's the phase where it's like, oh my God, I finally have some energy back again. I finally feel like I want to talk to people and connect with people again. (laughs) I have some desire to run some experiments to try out some of the things that I'm thinking about doing in my next life chapter until you ride that wave all the way back into going through the cycle again and getting back to go for it. So, for me, this was so life giving and truly life changing for me to learn about this cycle because it helped me feel less alone mm-hmm. when I was somewhere else other than Go For It. Right. Mm-hmm. So, again, I thought we were only ever supposed to be in Go For It. And if I wasn't, mm-hmm. then that must mean something was wrong with me. And it's helped me. It's really like why I'm so passionate about the work of helping people learn, like uh, learn or develop skill sets to be in the other phases. Because it's just not realistic to think we're never going to be in the doldrums or cocooning Mm -hmm. or getting ready. Those are all real parts of life.
1: Mm -hmm. And I am so fascinated. Well, I two things came up when you were talking about that. One, I is like, I'm fascinated at the idea that like probably different Enneagram types have a different phase in that cycle that they're a little bit more comfortable in and like maybe feel safer, like definitely go for it. That's like my safe space. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, that's what I know. That makes sense to me. The doldrums are terrifying, but also kind of thinking of it as a cycle and knowing, okay, the doldrums will go, they will come and they will go. Like that is okay. I can breathe through it. Yep but then I know like some other types structures may be more comfortable in the getting ready phase or the cocooning phase. Um, you know, some might be more comfortable in the doldrums because there's nothing to lose. Um, so I'm fascinated by that. <laughs> which, is,
0: which is what I find. I haven't taken the time yet to map it out, but I definitely find that, you mm-hmm. know, like that there, there seems to be some biases or some preferences. Oh um, I feel like somebody, an Enneagram 9 actually just asked the question for a Workplace Hugs podcast. Uh, what do you do if you're a professional cocooner? You know, like I'm so great at resting and reflecting, but holy shit, don't make me make a decision. I don't want to have to choose. So having compassion for for that part of you a little bit and finding some ways to move through it as best as you can or at your own pace. I think that's another thing that people put a lot of pressure on themselves is like, okay, I got to like get to the next phase. Maybe Maybe you're just meant to be here a little bit. And that's okay too.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think that makes sense because I think about, you know, seven structure and how the doldrums, it's like when I'm in that phase, I try to do anything in my physical power to get out of it. So, like, what do I need to do? Do I need to do yoga every day? Do I need to read a book every day? Do I need to drink more water? Like, how am I going to get out of this phase? And, but when I'm in that, if I just release Mm. (laughs) and like, don't try to fix it or escape it or make it go away. It's much more smooth and gentle and goes much more quickly. Amen. Than if I'm like,
0: I can control this phase. <laughs> Amen. And oftentimes that's the conversation that I'm having with, I would say, threes, sevens, and eights come to mind mm-hmm. the most mm-hmm. in that phase of um. Okay, we can keep fighting this, maybe a little bit one, two. We can keep fighting this, mm-hmm. or we can just like, I don't know, take a big sigh and recognize that this is where we are right now.
1: <laughs> when you were talking about like, if we can all learn those skills to be self, have that self compassion, have that ability to allow, that I'm almost fascinated by people when we're like in one phase or we're trying to operate out of a phase even though it's not the phase we're in, how much kind of harm we can do to other people? Oh, th- say more. Okay, so I'm thinking <laughs> let's say I'm in the doldrums. Yeah. But I'm I'm trying to be in what's the first phase again? Go for it. Go for it, my favorite. Um okay, I'm in the doldrums and I'm trying to be in go for it. So yeah. I'm like go to the grocery store, I'm trying to have like the perfect dinner plan. I'm going through everything, one thing goes wrong. And, you know, I crumble because like I'm pretending like I can handle everything while actually being extremely depleted. Mm -hmm. And I know like without the resources that I have of self-compassion and empathy and, you know, things that I've worked really hard to cultivate, I can think of like the people who take that out on the grocery cashier Mm -hmm. or the people who like call the manager, you know, and like kind of are trying to trying to solve their doldrums through action, through like, do you know what I'm trying to say? Oh, think, yeah. I mean, well, and,
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and you're reminding me, I kind of, I, I skipped through, there's so much depth that I could go into in each of these, but in the doldrums, oftentimes some of the work is taking responsibility for your life again. Mm -hmm. Right. It's recognizing like you're not a victim to the circumstances. It's finding your agency again to say, oh, no, I have some agency here. So you don't keep taking it out on the cashier (laughs) or your partner or your boss or anybody else that you're feeling victimized by. Mm -hmm. It's finding that agency
1: again. Oh my gosh! Okay, so I am fascinated by like how right now, Shannon, are you working with people? Like, if someone's like, "Okay, I'm going through a transition, I'm in the doldrums, please help me." Yeah,
0: <laughs> absolutely. So my my heart space is in the one on one work. If I'm really honest, mm-hmm. so people can connect with me uh, on Instagram or through my website and have a conversation, right? This is no pressure, especially with the kind of depth work that we do. It's so important that um, we feel that relational connection. Mm -hmm. And then this is where my coaching work has evolved to over time. It's it, transition is a choose your own adventure journey, right? I'm not trying to like lock people in to say, we got to commit to 12 sessions. No, no. Transitions are different lengths of time for different people. And so mm-hmm. typically what that looks like is like, hey, let's start with six sessions. Let's see what we can make happen in six sessions. Let's see what we can learn about you um, and go from there.
1: Mm. Lovely. And Shannon, Are you ready for rapid-fire questions? Let's do it. Dun-dun-dun. I had to pull them up. Hold on. Yeah. Okay. I should have these memorized by now. Okay. The first book that comes to mind.
0: Oh. I have been reading so much fiction now that I'm actually embracing, like, not having to be an achiever all the time. And I Mm -hmm. just read Surprise Me by Sophie Kinsella. It was delightful. It really gave me a lot of thought around... It's, it's this married couple that's worried that they're going to f- fall flat, you know, if they're married for 60 mm-hmm. years. And it was comical to see how much stress they cause themselves and each other <laughs> by trying to make their marriage more interesting. You know, it's like,
1: how yeah. can we find
0: some joy? Maybe if that's the six again coming out of me of like, how can we find the joy in the peacefulness?
1: Oh, I love that. Yeah. A favorite song. Oh, favorite song. I have
0: been listening to Genius of Love. Rami is going to love this. Genius of Love by the Tom, Tom Club because Rami taught me in a podcast episode that it is the most sampled song of all time. So li- you got to go listen to that song and you're going to be like, holy shit, that beats in the Mariah Carey song and this song and that song. So that's the song I'm obsessed Whoa.
1: with. Oh, OK. I'm going to listen to that. Um, this is way off topic, but something that, that reminded me of is like I am fascinated and um overwhelmed and it makes my brain want to explode and make me think that we're in a simulation, that there are as many songs as there are in the world and most of them don't sound the same. It doesn't yes. make any sense. How is that real?
0: Well, I mean, now you're getting into my music theory nerd. I'm eight credits away from a double major in music because I loved it, but I hated performing. Um, <laughs> and what's that? I don't. I should know this. Are there 88 keys on a piano? You know. And so sometimes it blows my mind. In that same vein of like, there's 88 keys on the piano. There's only so many notes, and yet we can make a million things out of it. Life yeah.
1: is fascinating. And seeing like how did the Beatles do what the Beatles did, and then not. And still people are making new songs. Yeah. I don't know. It's crazy. It's it's insane.
0: I compare it to a kaleidoscope sometimes, you know, because it's like the same amount of crystals in that kaleidoscope, but holy smokes, if you (gasps) turn it, it looks like a totally different picture. And I'll use that metaphor with clients sometimes when they're like, I don't know how to turn my life. I know that I want these elements, but it can make a totally different picture.
1: Oh, stop. I wanna I want you to be my coach. Okay, something you wish people knew about you.
0: Oh, God. I feel like I probably said it already in the front end of the episode. What I wish people knew about me right now is how much that I'm loving motherhood and mm-hmm. how much of a – maybe what I wish people knew that was deeper than that is like how much of a shift this is for me, you know, how much of a shift this is for my Enneagram three heart to really allow myself to soften in and – um be able to put down the striving so much and just get to savor these precious mm-hmm. moments with my kid playing Mancala when she gets off the bus or practicing reading in the morning. Or, um, <laughs> I was talking with our mutual friend Amy the other day about how we make cover songs out of other songs and like write ridiculous lyrics together in different things. I wish people knew oh, that,
1: yeah, it's motherhood. Okay, so I, I should have known I was not gonna let this be rapid fire. <laughs> Sorry, It's my fault too. No, it's my fault. Um, I was thinking I recently I kind of had this realization, and recently, I mean this year or last year, in the last two years, um, I had this realization that I was operating in parenthood. I was trying to love my people in doer act like from the doer place. So I was like packing lunches, cleaning the house. I was like, um, making sure that everybody got to all of their appointments on time. I, you know, I was just like, I will love you by organizing your life for you. And that like, they don't that's not loving. That's like useful and helpful. And it is an act of love if I'm doing it from the right attitude. (laughs) Um, cause sometimes I'm not, but then also, There's so much, it's not presence and it's not slowing down and being with them and like playing and listening and how that just, that takes so much more focus from me. But it's like 10 minutes of me being with them present is worth more to them than 12 hours of me organizing shit and then being resentful.
0: One thousand percent. And I feel like that's the joke I'm literally just getting now as a part of, you know, like this transition into a new school year or whatever, because and it was honestly my therapist's suggestion, if I'm really honest, mm-hmm. of we do what we call Talia time, which is the second she gets off the bus, we just do 30 minutes and she gets to choose whatever we want to do. And mm-hmm. that has made such a transformative difference in how our whole nights go. And just, mm. I feel like that was the shift in our whole relationship, where it's just like we get each other more now because we're actually connecting, and we're not worried about like, like, gotta get dinner ready, gotta pack the lunch for school tomorrow, gotta make sure you have your dance bag packed, all that other stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so good. Okay, um, your dream day, what are you doing?
0: Oh, god. My dream day. I mean, a little bit of like cheesy alert, but a little bit, I feel like I'm living it right now. Uh, My kid goes to a late start school, so I get to get up slow in the morning. We have breakfast together at eight. I get to get my workout in. We do our little like reading play school connection time. I put her on the bus. I get a little bit more me time before I start clients. I start clients about 11 or 12. I coach until five. And then I get to go home and connect with my kid, and um, be really present to whatever is happening in our family later that night. That, like, honestly, it's cheesy and lame, but that is my ideal day and I'm living it.
1: I love that. That is so sweet. Your final meal? What are you eating?
0: Uh, Jersey Mike's. That's my latest obsession. I'm obsessed with Jersey Mike's lately.
1: Oh my gosh! What's your? Can I ask what your order is?
0: Yeah, number five. Add pickles in mayo.
1: Okay. Thrilling. I've never been to Jersey, Mike. (laughs) It's like I, 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 it's like people have strong
0: opinions for or against, but okay, we just started maybe in the last three months, and it's like in our weekly rotation.
1: I love for that. I'm always looking for like lunches that I can have that aren't Chipotle, quite frankly. Yeah. (laughs) So that's what I need. That's what I needed in my life.
0: Give it a try. Let me know what you think.
1: Yeah. um, Food for thought. Something you want people to walk away thinking about today.
0: Yeah. So a book that I read recently was The Power of Meaning. Have you read this book? No. Okay. Yeah. No. So in The Power of Meaning, they talk a lot about there's four sources of meaning. And one is belonging. And mm. that's something that I have been thinking about a lot in my own life and that I find myself – uh. Talking about more in client sessions, because I think sometimes when we're tempted to blow up or make a big shift in our life, we think it's like something to do with our work. And as mm-hmm. I'm diving into belonging a little bit with clients, I'm finding it's like, oh, what are your sources of belonging? Like, what communities do you feel like you get to be a part of? who do you get to feel connected to or in relationship to? And that's the thing that's not always, but sometimes the thing that's missing. So I don't know, that's my food for thought lately of being more thoughtful about what communities I'm a part of, where I'm cultivating belonging, both for myself, but also for other people. Like, Where can I reach out to create a sense of belonging in my neighbors, in my dance moms, in my kids' school community? Because I think a lot of us were feeling pretty disconnected Mm post-COVID and, I don't know, food for thought.
1: Where do you need more belonging
0: in your life or where can you offer belonging to other people?
1: Mm. And where can we keep in touch? So, Shannon, you have Instagram, two podcasts. I know. And then where can we work with you? So give us all the goods.
0: Yeah. Instagram at Shannon Schottler. My website is www.shannonschottler.com. You can come check out the Workplace Hugs podcast that I do with Rami, or you can check out some interviews with folks who have moved through messy middles, including Sarah Jane herself, who's gracious enough to do an interview with me uh, on -hmm. the Messy Mucky Middle podcast on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen
1: so excited and we'll make sure to link all of that for you all in the show notes so you can easily get to it and check out one of those next if you want and Shannon you know I I love talking to you I'm so grateful you took the time to be here right back at you babe seeking the truth never gets old